Well, again, I want to just tell you what a joy and a, a privilege it is to be here with you this evening to open up God's Word to you. Our psalm tonight will be Psalm 63, Uh, so if you'd like to join me in turning in your Bibles. And as you're turning there, I I just want you to reflect upon uh, the desire, the delight, the joy, and the confidence that the psalmist has in his God. Psalm 63, hear now the word of the Lord. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Please pray with me. A gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and praise you for your scriptures. We thank you that you have given us this psalm, Lord, and we ask that through Christ you would teach us to see the beauty and the glory of him in this psalm, that we would learn to delight and to desire, to find joy and to find comfort and confidence in your protection. Lord, we ask that you would just bless this time and that you would bless the preaching of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, dear congregation, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are on the run. Imagine that there are people after you that are seeking your life, that you are forced to be cast away from various comforts, protections, resources, You're cast away from your family and your friends. Your circumstances begin to look bleak. You begin to feel overwhelmed. Your hope begins to to wane. You feel lonely like an outsider. And your faith begins to be shaken. Well, as we look at this psalm, this is precisely where we find David. The title of this psalm tells us that this is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now this could have been written at the time when uh, David was on the run from Saul, hiding in the wilderness of Ziph, or when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. Whichever the case, David was cast away. David was an outsider, and he was cast into the wilderness by his enemies from his comforts, his home, his family in the tabernacle. 
And if we're honest, like David, as Christians, our pilgrimages are filled with a lot of wildernesses. There's a lot of barren valleys as we journey through this life. Today, we can see that society is increasingly growing vile, rebellious, and it's violent all around us. You may begin suffering various rising levels of persecution. There's growing opposition to your position in Christ. It becomes harder in your workplaces, in the community, and among friends to profess Christ. Or maybe it's the more mundane. Maybe it's the day-to-day struggle that you have with various circumstances in your life. This could be finances. This could be where you're at in your careers. It could be also various trials and troubles. Think of the death of a loved one, marital struggles, struggles with your kids. It could also be your battle with sin and temptation. It feels that you always seem to, to, to gain some momentum against killing sin and, and being at, at war with sin, and then you fall, and you feel like you're backsliding. You feel overwhelmed. And it's in these times that we can often feel like saying, if only. We can, we can make excuses and say, if only. If only I would have done this better. If only this would have happened. Or, or if only I would have this job. Or if only I could get my finances here. Or if I had this career or this house. If only I didn't commit this sin. Or if only I would have read more or prayed more. Maybe I wouldn't have continued falling into sin and temptation. We continue to say, if only, if only. But it's David's circumstances here in the wilderness that set before us a pattern for responding properly to trials and troubles. So as we read and sing this psalm in Christ, we need to rest and delight ourselves in God's presence and protection in the wilderness. So this evening, I want to consider three heads under delighting in God's presence and protection. The first is desiring after God. The second is delighting in God. And the third, deliverance of God. Deliverance of God. Look again with me at verse 1 as we consider desiring after God. David here says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We see here David longing after God, earnestly seeking after God in the midst of his afflictions. Here in this verse, David calls to mind his relationship with his covenant Lord. He cries out, O God, you are my God. This is David's Lord who has been faithful to David throughout his life. It's the God in whom David, or the God in whom has walked with and upheld David in various seasons of his life. It's the God who has been David's comfort, who David enjoys very sweet and precious, precious communion with. And he does this in times of worship and in prayer and in meditations. And it's here in the midst of this desolation that we, we see David earnestly seeking after and desiring God. Think for a moment here of the life of David. 
We heard earlier that the psalm was written either when David's life was being sought after by Saul or when David was on the run from Absalom, when Absalom usurped the throne. But in either case, it, it, it caused David to be cast away, caused him to be lonely and broken. But if we were to consider it as the case of Absalom, we would see that it comes right after his fall into the heinous sin with Bathsheba. This brought David great shame. It brought great shame upon the nation of Israel. This would have caused great doubt to come into David. David would have possibly doubted his salvation and the promises that God had made toward him. And as we read here in verse 1, though, David thirsted and fainted after God as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Here David is weary from hiding. He's thirsty. He's broken down. And yet when calling out to God, David does not first to seek, or does not first seek to have his circumstances change or his bodily needs met. Yet David uses his circumstances to consider his need for the Lord. And he earnestly seeks and desires the only one who can satisfy him. And it's in this that we here truly see the greater David. There's no better illustration given us than the life of Christ. As we consider Christ and we consider his ministry, we see that Christ was constantly rejected. He was cast away and on the move from his enemies. But it is Christ who perfectly desired and earnestly sought for God amid his afflictions. We can consider Matthew 4 and Christ's temptation. When Jesus was led away into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. In this text, we know that Christ has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He would have been weary and hungry. And as we see Satan trying to tempt Christ, it is clear from Christ's responses that his, by his responses and his appeals to the scripture that his desire was for his father. Christ's desire was for his father. It was to please him and to do his will. Jesus desired his father above all others. He longed for fellowship with his father. Every moment of his life, he longed for fellowship with his father. And it was Christ who felt the pain of living in this barren world. His whole life was a wilderness. We saw it there in Matthew 4 in his temptations, but metaphorically for all of it. Christ entered fully into the experience that David foreshadowed. And it is Christ that we truly have set forth for us both the pattern and the power to truly desire after God. Amid afflictions, bleak circumstances, the wilderness seasons of your life, you must learn to throw yourselves upon Christ. You cannot trust yourselves to desire God as we ought or, or, or to desire him in your own strength. You cannot make that list of if-onlys as if that will sometime help you. All it will do is lead you to fall into despair and sorrow, possibly a form of moralism. It'll be detrimental. It's no, but in these seasons, you must ask yourself, do I desire after God? Do you make time for God in prayer? 
Do you make them your meditation in hard times? Or do you run to supposedly other remedies? We need to learn to throw ourselves upon Christ. To throw ourselves upon his mercy and his grace. We need to learn to trust him in all things. And then we need to enter into the fruits of his desire. It's Christ. It's Christ alone who is the only one that can fill our desires. That can fill your desires and your affections after him. So tonight as we read this psalm and sing this psalm, we read as though we read as ones united by the Spirit to read and sing in and through Christ. This leads me to my second point, delighting in God. Look again with me at verses 2 through 7. David begins to delight himself in memories of sweet fellowship and communion with God. In verse 2, David calls to mind the imagery of the tabernacle, where David saw the power and the glory of God in worship. It is here that he offered up thanksgivings and praises. It's here that he saw the sacrifices for his sins. The sanctuary was a delight for David, as it was a place where he experienced very deep and rich communion with God. If we move on to verse 3, we see David delighting himself in a covenant relationship with God, stating that God's steadfast love is better than life. God's steadfast love is better than life. You see, God's promises to the church are sweeter and more delightful to David than his own life. This moves David amid his circumstances to delight in the assurance and presence of God. And therefore, he praises the God of the covenant. He praises God for God's faithfulness, and he prays for God's fulfillment of these covenant promises. So again, you must ask yourself, is this how you view God and his promises? Is what God has promised you and what he's promised his church more precious to you than your very life? Verses 5 through 7, David is brought to the joy at his meditations upon God. Thoughts of God cause David to use the imagery of a rich feast, a banquet, and he uses this to express the satisfaction that comes with communion with God. These meditations bring rejoicing and praises to the lips of David. These are signs that David holds very dear, near and dear to his heart. So that even in the wilderness, the power and glory of God are what fills his affections. You can think about it like this. Today we, we had the privilege and enjoyed precious time of communing with God and one another around the table at our fellowship mill. Or even more as we communed with the Lord and each other at the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. These are times for us that bring us great delight. They bring delight to our souls. They fill and bring up our affections for Christ and for one another, for his church and for the promises of God. And we need to see this because for David, his worship was shadows and types. Excuse me, shadows and types that that was fulfilled in Christ. He earnestly hoped for it and prayed that God's promises would come to fulfillment, that they would be fulfilled. But for us, we don't look to an earthly tabernacle. We look to Christ, our head. 
and we find joy in his body, the church. We delight in the worship and fellowship that we have with one another. That is our delight. So you, like David, should make God your meditation, make him your delight. And you should delight in the promises that he has fulfilled for you in Christ. It is Christ who will be the banquet for your soul. It will be Christ who will be the banquet that when you walk through the wildernesses of life that will sustain you and give you strength and comfort. It will be Christ that upon the dark nights of your soul, it will be him alone that can uphold and soothe your weary frame. You must delight in God through Christ, victorious death, his resurrection, and exaltation. You must. You must learn to to go to Christ and delight in what he has done for you, not what you can do for him. And this leads me to my last point, our deliverance in God. Finally, look again here at verses 8 through 10. We see here David expressing a strong assurance a strong assurance of the future victory over his enemies. David is comforted by this. He's confident and clings to the only one that can uphold him, the only one that has held and continues to uphold him throughout his life. David is confident in what God has promised, and he's assured of the destruction of his enemies. He's assured that their portion and their lot will be among, as it says, the jackals. Their grave will be with the wicked. It will bring shame and disgrace. David is confident in this very thing. We also see David comforting himself in the wilderness by looking forward to the day that he would triumph over all of his enemies, that he would triumph in victory and be restored to the throne. And in this, as Christians, we should be comforted that we have a king who is exalted. We have Christ who is at the right hand of the Father. We have a king who is triumphant over every enemy and has secured the victory for his children. There is not any circumstance or aspect in our lives that we should fret. There's no trial, there's no circumstance, there's no enemy that we should fear in this life. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians that our last enemy, our very last enemy is death. And I love how he concludes this, se- this section in the chapter. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you're more than conquerors in Christ. Christ has conquered every enemy Every circumstance, every trial, every trouble, every bit of suffering that you have, Christ has won the victory for you. You're more than conquerors. Your confidence, like David, is not in yourselves, but in God's promises. You see, for David, it was promises that were made, but for us, it's promises that were kept. You live light You live your life in light of the resurrection. In God's providence, we read Matthew 24. We live our light, we live our lives in light of the risen king. He has secured our victory. He has power over death. 
It is the risen Lord who reigns and rules over all. And it's in him that all things have been put under his feet. This ensures your deliverance. This ensures what you have in Christ. This vindicates Christ. And then as we read in verse 11, all of this causes rejoicing. All of it causes rejoicing. We read that the king shall rejoice. David shall rejoice. David's sons shall rejoice. But it's ultimately David's son and David's Lord who will perfectly rejoice in God. It's Christ. It's Christ who perfectly rejoices. The verse also reads for us here that it's all who exalt in the Lord. All who exalt in the Lord. Those will rejoice. You see, it's through Christ and through his desire that you share in the fullness of his joy. It's his desire that for his children, for his people, that you will, des- that you will be filled and delight in the fullness of the joy that is his. We read it's the mouth of liars that will be stopped. But it's for those that trust in Christ, that, that delight and desire and rest in his deliverance that will be saved. Christ. Christ is our our delight, our desire. Christ is our protection. He's our comfort. He's our deliverance in the wildernesses of this world. John Calvin put it this way, our happiness and glory depend entirely upon Christ. Our happiness and glory depend entirely upon Christ. You see, it's Christ that will lead you in the desire for the Father. He will lead you in the delight in the Father. He leads you to joy in the Father. And he leads you in confidence in his final victory. This is his prayer, and through him it becomes ours. Let us pray. Gracious, almighty God, Lord, we thank you for your son. Lord, we know that if left up to our own strength, we would fail time and time again. But since we share in the fruits of your son, we have the power to truly desire after you, to delight in you, to have the fullness of joy, and to be confident over every victory, or we should be confident in the victory over death and every enemy. Lord, you have secured for us the most wonderful blessings. And it is by your grace and mercy that we take on each and every day. Lord, help us to grow in our love and our affection for your son. Help us to rest in him. And in times where we doubt, help us to throw ourselves upon his mercy and grace. Lord, we're thankful for the union that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.